Welcome. My name is Lee Maxey. I'm the CEO here at MindMax, and we do a series of podcasts we call Mind Maxing. And this series is called Reflections and Repositioning. And if you're wondering how higher education is dealing with the global pandemic and their positioning for the future, this podcast is for you. We'll be speaking with some very interesting and smart people who are deans and directors at some of the leading institutions in the United States, hearing about their reflections and how their institutions or how they see higher ed as a whole repositioning itself for the future. So please join me as we hear from one of our interesting guests. Well, hello, and welcome to another Mind Maxing podcast. I'm delighted to be here with Melik Khoury, the president of Unity College. And uh, Melik and I have known each other for several years. We've done some work with Unity, and, and uh, actually our daughter is enrolled there now in, in an online program and, and really having a great experience. Uh, Unity is, is a, a really interesting uh, school as, as, as America's environmental college is they, their moniker. And, and uh, I really appreciate some of their forward thinking that was going on prior to COVID and I believe has positioned them to be in a really you know, effective position uh, right now uh, with COVID happening. So I'd like to start off with uh, our first question, Melik, which is, it's been a heck of a year. Um, you know, we've all gone through uh, the different stages of grief, I believe, you know, the denial and, and, and bargaining and, and uh, maybe some of us are at acceptance, but uh, I'd be interested in your, your reflections around what this year has been like for, for you or for Unity College or for higher ed specifically. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, higher education, as you know, has been going through a significant amount of disruption over the last 10 years. I think what this year has done, it has really um, focused on that disruption and made it impossible for people to deny what is actually going on. Um, as uh, COVID hit us, um, a lot of institutions who have been um, really uh, uh, their entire economic model is based on the residential kind of resort model, really got tested. And those institutions who um, served a multiple of audiences, that residential traditional model, but also adult students and place-bound students and remote students and online students and certificate students tend to fare a little bit better. And so I think what um, that this year has brought is a uh, uh, an inability for higher education to continue to just um, ignore the fact that our industry is in is in disruption and that um, we need to change in order to accommodate the changing demographics, uh, the the rising costs, the um, just the you know the the awareness of what it means to live in a on a planet with finite resources um, from a time when. Uh, only a few of us went to college. Now many of us go to college, and the model has never been transformed. It's funny for every college that is uh, that seems to be closing, and you know the Chronicle of Higher Education has a tracker now. There is a college that's doubling in size, and um, the difference between those two is the is the uh, is the real unsaid. And I think this year has highlighted that conversation. And I I I, I agree with you, and and the. Uh, I've been watching, as, as you have, uh, online 
you know, slowly be adopted by higher ed. But besides embracing, I'll call it alternative modalities for delivery, which is, as you and I have talked about, only one piece of the, the puzzle, can you describe any of the, the models or approaches pedagogically that, or from a, I'll call it a business standpoint, um, that schools have done in the past that would have prepared them uh, to be more successful in this last year? Sure. I think, um, you know, in, I think the concept of online, to your point, is a, uh, is a misnomer. I think higher education has labeled the concept online as if it's a thing. It's not. It's a technology. And, you know, I, I always say if you have uh, 15 students with a faculty member uh, working at a remote location while taking another class with a faculty member on campus, are they residential? Are they online? Are they remote? I think we've created a false dichotomy between college and online college that is actually uh, inaccurate. We've just never taken the time to uh, um, separate that. So colleges that have really um, engaged in appropriate student support to understand that the emerging student needs a different kind of help and support. Uh, uh, Colleges that understood the value of technology as a tool to create access and flexibility instead of this this nomad that it's an all or nothing online versus face-to-face. Institutions that have created uh, uh, pathways for access for students who are historically not college going, like it was in the, in the 60s when this whole experiment started with the GI Bill. Students who created, uh, colleges who, who really tried to figure out where the students were and started to create programs and calendars and pedagogies uh, uh, to support them uh, are faring better. Uh, for example, um, I think that there is a blur in higher ed, uh, in the general public, that all colleges and universities are the same. There seems to be a lack of um, a focus on the difference between the, why you go to an R1 institution, why you go to a liberal arts institution, why you go to a technical school. Um, and it's become between online and not online. That's not the case. Online is a modality. It's, that's all that it is. Um, face-to-face is a modality. And so that blur, um, um, you know, aligned, like I said earlier, with a lack of funding from, uh, you know, from the federal government uh, in education and the increased prices, um, colleges who knew that was coming and just did not say, we will be the ones to find the 500 freshmen who can afford to take the parent plus loans, who can afford to put their lives on hold, who can come and live in the resort that is higher ed. It's either that or you don't have a real education. Um, those who did not uh, bank on just that one are, are faring better. Now, don't get me wrong. The Ivy League colleges, the tier one institutions, the ones with, with huge endowments who can turn that on and off to shape their class, um, you know, th- that, that's, a, that's a different value proposition. But for the rest of the institutions, from state schools to private schools to community college, where we're trying to do a, um, a value proposition to prepare students for the workforce, but at the same time, make them well-rounded, civic-minded, culturally competent, environmentally um, uh, resilient uh, human beings. We're all trying to emulate that model that is not uh, that is not possible unless each and every one of us has a billion-dollar endowment, which is not a thing. So I think those who have uh, refused to accept that there is more than one way to educate are struggling more. 
I, I sometimes uh, equate that to um, um, the music industry um, or storytelling, where, um, you know, before technology, the only way to tell story was around a campfire. And then with the print press, we were able to write it down. With technology, we were able to create videos. Now you have streaming. The story hasn't changed. But those who say the only way to tell a story is around a campfire might not be able to get their story out as much as those who understand there are multiple ways to, to, to share that story. And education is very much in that, in that realm. Uh, folks who, uh, I mean, you all know this, the, the completion rates in this country right now is, is poor. You know, uh, universities like Western Governors University, Arizona State University, Southern New Hampshire University, and, and now us in that, in that uh, vein, saying to students, those of you who did the traditional route and now you are in the workforce or you are unemployed or you're looking for something different or you can't put your life on hold, we are going to provide you with a quality education. Those institutions are growing, but they've never been given their due um, uh, deference or their, their their place in educational society because we all try to be that Ivy League mentality, which is not for everyone. So I think that's the that's the that's the, the confusion that we need to uh, uh, get past. Why do we exist? We exist to educate. Why do we educate? We we educate because we need good citizens who are also career ready. And saying that there's only one way to do that, which is the four-year residential model, might be short-sighted in the 21st century. Thank you, Malik. And, and I, I'm often talking with people I've just met or, or even friends of mine who know I'm in the business I am working with schools, and their paradigm is around the 200, maybe 250 schools out of 5,000 schools in the U.S., it's a very small number, but that's the paradigm that they're thinking of with their 18-year-old who's leaving high school and, and going to a bucolic pastoral, you know, four-year residential. And, and you know, that's, that's such a small minority of the different kinds of educational experiences that are out there. And, and it, is, it is not a monolithic, you know, experience. And, and I think we're seeing that more and more. And <clears throat> I think we'll see it even more in the future. So speaking to the future, looking forward in the next six to nine months, you know, so I'm sure you've done a lot of strategic and also tactical planning. Um, what are some things you see happening or are in the midst of executing uh, in the very short term in, in 2021? Sure, I think for us right now, um, we are focused on affordability, flexibility and access. And how we manifest that uh, is, is, is something that we are hoping to do very differently. So, for example, Unity College abandoned the two-semester model completely. Whether you are face-to-face, -face, whether you are residential, uh, whether you're online, whether you're remote. So, for that, the reason for that is uh, to make things more accessible and affordable for students. Because now, a students can take one class and qualify for federal and state aid instead of the traditional model where they have to take five classes in order to qualify. So that's one area that we have made some changes and will continue to um, uh, make strides on to make this more affordable. And because of that, in something as simple as seven months, we have seen a significant decline in students needing to take unsubsidized loans to continue their education. Mm -hmm. 
also by creating non-standard terms because we understand where students are in their lives, both traditional and non-traditional. Students are given multiple opportunities to start and stop and still maintain the trajectory that they want instead of the old model where you took five classes and if you had to drop out, you lost an entire six months. Another uh, element that we're working on uh, uh, is really focusing on um, instructional design and uh, uh, um, uh, in partnering because our faculty, they are subject matter experts in their field, but they are not subject matter experts in pedagogical design. And so by creating an internal model where uh, our faculty, our instructional designers and our deans work in collaboration to create a course is a very, very different approach to provide uh, uh, in, uh, uh, students with what they need and where they need it in lieu of just the old model where show up to class and I, you know, I will profess. Um, I think the other element is in competency-based learning. Um, there are ways to measure outcomes with students without it always just being about time. They are, um, so we are, we are beginning to see that it is, it's not enough to just say, I spent, I took English 101, but what are the skills that I have gained because I have completed that course? We are also trying to figure out how we can reduce costs by not duplicating resources that already exist within communities. You know, there's a course right now that our students are taking in dendrology and these students are in their neighborhoods and they're going to their local fauna and they are out there in the field doing work. Are they online? Are they remote? They, some of those students would never be able to come and spend four years at Unity. So really breaking, deconstructing the very essence of why we exist, which is to create hard and soft skills in order to educate students and how to be global citizens, environmental stewards, and career-ready in the 21st century is the work right now, and not how can we keep the four-year traditional model because that is the only way to teach. And I will end by saying it's not an or, it's an and. For those who can afford that, for those who are lucky enough to get the scholarship for that, for those institutions who can subsidize that, that is great. But for the other 90% of America, we need to provide a different way a more palatable and affordable and flexible way for them to get the same education. And that's the work that's moving forward. One of my favorite subjects to harp on is, is the credit hour as the currency of exchange. Mm -hmm. And that, that's where the funding, you know, from uh, scholarship slash, you know, financial aid, uh, that's where your, you know, transcript leads up to a credential. Um, and it always has struck me, you know, that at a credit hour, uh, even the label is not really all that connected to, to the, really the objective or goal that, that any of the stakeholders have in relationship to what happens at the end of that educational experience, whether it's an outcome-based focus, whether it's be able to participate in a, in a democracy, which is where education, you know, affordable education really was, was set up for in the first place, uh, whether it's from an industry perspective of can someone do that job and what's their speed to proficiency in their new job, uh, or the student themselves to have a portable credential that, that demonstrates uh, that they're able to do something uh, and that it's not just in one realm, but they can, it's portable. And then for the school to keep track of and to continually improve what they're delivering. So uh, I do think, you know, 
challenging tilting at that credit hour windmill, I think is going to be a, an ongoing challenge as we as we move forward. So speaking of moving forward, if we look forward to 2022 and beyond, um, you know, this has been a big impact from this pandemic uh, in, in so many different ways all over the globe. And, and, uh, and you've already highlighted some things that are going on at Unity in relationship to that. But if you think more broadly about some changes that are likely to happen in your mind or things you imagine or see in the future? What, what are some of those things, Malik? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, from a purely high, higher education perspective, I think that um, you are going to see a lot more closures. You're going to see a lot more mergers and you're going to see a lot of transformations. I think that, you know, the model just doesn't work for most of us um, right now. How that manifests is yet to be determined. Um, I think there's going to need to be a much more um, stronger partnership between higher, you know, education, industry, and government. I, I believe in the independence of all three, but I begin to, I think it's becoming, over the last 10 years, we have lost relevance with each other. And so we need to become relevant about how we as educators prepare our students to be good citizens, how it's funded, and then and how industry can help. So for me, I think the future is going to be a um, a deconstruction of higher education to to lend itself to different deliveries. To your point about the credit hour, the credit hour cannot be the only currency. Four-year residential cannot be the only currency. Micro credentials, upskilling, workforce development, technical programs, leadership programs. Um, um, uh, associate degrees, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, doctorates, each and every one of those has a specific focus and need for a specific job. And having students understand that and, and not a one size fit all and how we deliver that in an affordable, accessible and flexible way. And at the same time, relook at the very concept of our general education program to modernize it because I think, you know, it was, as you know, it was invented by the Greeks. It was militarized by the Romans. It was adopted by us. And it hasn't really changed since then, except I think now we substitute language for computers. We really need to look at that. And now that we understand that the, you know, the environmental impact is no longer a niche, but a real core focus of how we exist with, between humanity, economy, and ecology, we need to transform. What does a student need to, do, to be, to be uh, uh, career ready? But what do they need to be? to be environmentally and civic-minded to work in this global economy. I think that's the work of the future. And the colleges who are going to innovate um, are going to succeed. And the colleges who are going to hope that things get back to normal or that, uh, that, that miracle donor that's going to force them never to have to change, they will play the lottery. But the future is about innovation. And higher education was designed to be the exact opposite. And we at Unity College are trying to transform our model to be, to be one that does not talk about innovation, but one that innovates. To design pedagogy and curriculum and pricing specifically for each different type of student instead of a one-size-fit-all. One all. That's the exciting thing about the future, is we don't know what it's going to end up. There are some that feel that we're going to go back to normal. There are some that think that a lot of colleges are going to close and those who survive will go back to normal. And then there are many who believe that we are going to have to transform into something different, but continue to deliver on our promise for an educated society. 
and I can go into specifics all day, um, but you know, like we are now investing in um, how does virtual reality, augmented reality, and artificial intelligence play within the very fabric of students being ready. Now, we are not interested in doing a VR major or an AI major. That's that's why higher ed goes wrong. We're saying the way that 20 years ago we, we tried to figure out how Excel and Word and PowerPoint fits within the curriculum. Now what we're saying is how do students who graduate can understand that and how can we use that to drive down cost and, and improve access? So those are the kinds of innovations that is going to take both academics and non-academics to partner to, to, to create this that I think um, is the work of the next five years. I think, Malik, you have a role in higher ed leadership ahead of you. I appreciate it, sir. I will tell you that I make a lot of people nervous because a lot of people um, uh, really would prefer that we just say once the pandemic is over, things will go back to normal. Well, the reason I, I say that is there's many, obviously many styles of leadership. There's some who lead from the back, there's some who lead from the middle, and there's some who lead from the front. And, uh, you know, I, I have appreciated uh, the work you're doing at Unity. Uh, and I believe you are all leading from the front in terms of, you know, and, and, and stubbing your toe when you stub your toe and getting back up and, and failing forward and learning and so forth. And uh, I really have appreciated our time today. And, and uh, this has been a, another Mind Maxing podcast. So thank you very much, Malik. Thank you. This has been another interesting Mind Maxing podcast. Please listen to the other podcasts on this series or look for us later this summer when we release our next series of podcasts.